This is the Straight Dope episode 58. Got a couple updates. So the subscribers, those of you out there listening, uh, there's not that many compared to the number of listeners, but we have updated the shooter bracket to the combined bracket feature. So that is live. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And if you want to see it and have it calculated for yourself, just subscribe at riflecraft.com. It helps the podcast. It helps the website. It gives you upgraded analytics. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of what that feature does uh, in a kind of circular manner because it involves talking about what we like to talk about here, which is shooting and how to grow your shooting capability and understanding of your own personal shooting. And I do that by talking about my own personal growth, things that I pay attention to, and maybe you can extract usable information or just kind of see how I think about things. So let's get to it. But for those of you who are subscribers, thank you so much. And hopefully you'll be getting an email soon describing some of the shooter bracket, combined bracket stuff and uh, how, how I like to think about that stuff. And because it's Arts and Crafts Week, I'm going to be talking about scribbling things down on paper and talking about how to think about it, or not for you to, but how I think about where my shooting's at and how I want to work on areas of weakness and pick the areas with the biggest amount of growth and, and some of the ways that I think about it. And backing up, because I talk a lot about factory ammo, I'm talking about factory ammo, um, loading standards, target sizes, different competition mindsets, and how to think of the numbers and identify those biggest areas of growth so that you can work on something that will show results. Now, before I move on, I, this morning, I got an email from one of the uh, Riflecraft USA students from a month ago. The Unconventional Skill Assessment is a course in-person course that Frank and I are offering out in Fort Morgan where we take shooters and we basically send them through a course of fire and measure their capabilities in excruciating detail so that we can really identify where their strengths and weaknesses are. Because some shooters don't know what they're good at and what they're not good at necessarily. And most shooters will tell you the same thing about what they want to be better at, but it's not necessarily the thing that's going to show the greatest area of improvement. And so I've got a, a matrix of measurements. And we identify where some of the mistakes coming from. And anyway, this particular shooter, um, you know, after a month of training, the, the, the training plan that you leave the course with, so it's an assessment. And then after the assessment, you get a month of coaching where one-on-one we talk about how to approach your areas of weakness. This guy literally cut his numbers in half. Now think about if your groups got shrunk in half or your wind reading got cut in half or your, your effective capability was doubled to distance, something like that. This guy showed a 50% on multiple markers. So, so it's tangible, it's realistic, and it happened in a month's time span. So um, you know, it's not, it's not just talking about things, but it's actually putting the numbers to work for you. And so let's talk about some of the numbers that go into hit probability. And we've all seen a lot of the, the pictures and diagrams that are out there about, you know, vertical and horizontal dispersion and so on and so forth. And, and I'm going to try to combine them in a way. So if you grab a piece of paper and, you know, I've, I've done this before, but what I'm going to try to do is talk in whether the shooter needs to work on hand loading, whether the shooter needs to work on their group shooting, or whether the shooter needs to work on their 
uh, on their wind reading. And so I'm going to start with a standard, and that standard is going to be like uh, a rectangle that's not unlike an Ipsic target. But let's say that we've got an 18 by 36 inch rectangle. Now, a lot of you are going to say, holy shit, that's really big. Yeah, it's pretty big, right? The 18 by 36 rectangle at 1,000 yards is a half a mil by a mil, right? And so let's take that and let's think about what it's going to take to shoot that half a mil by a mil target. And some of the way I think about different styles of competition the way they are now. Now, we're talking about, you know, just just uh, taking a shot at that target and actually hitting it, right? Not getting everything sussed out and talking to each other about this and that and like working our so on and so forth. We're talking, I'm talking about like, there it is, 1,000 yards away. You got an 18 by 36 inch target. Can you take one shot and hit it? And what, what's that going to mean? Well, a target like that isn't terribly unusual at a PRS size competition at 1,000 yards. And it's not really unusual at an NRL hunter at 1,000 yards. Now, you may have heard that targets are inside of 1,000 at a hunter. And I'm here to tell you that that's absolutely not true because I've shot targets up to 1,400 yards. Uh, and at a hunter, and I've shot uh, targets that were uh, Ipsix at 1,000 yards at PRS competitions, NRL competitions, and so forth. So I think it's a pretty good size target at that distance. And 1,000 yards, I think, is beyond average for distance, but it still serves to talk about some of the things that we see at distance that we don't see at 100 yards on paper. I'm obsessed with 100 yards on paper because that identifies the shooter and the shooter's fundamentals, and, and I think that that underlies everything. But people do like to go down rabbit holes and talk about gear and equipment and so on and so forth. And I like to start from a baseline of understanding some of the variables. So let's talk about your craft. If you're shooting a group that's consistently, if you measure it, and I'm going to, I'm going to, it's not uncommon for me to talk about my standards. I'm going to say it's 0.2 wide. So I've, I've basically got a 0.2 bracket. If I look at a target and my reticle has 0.2 subtensions, my group's going to fit in that 0.2 space. Now, granted, for it to fit in there, it's smaller than 0.2. Uh, we've had shooters on like Chad Heckler and Morgan King who say that they give themselves one-tenth for their shooting shooting budget. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm here to just to tell you that for me, I'm going to start with a two-tenth circle. So I'm going to take that circle, I'm going to draw it out here on a piece of paper, and I'm going to say that's 0.2 wide. 0.2 up, 0.2 down. Now, we're talking about a target, a rectangle, that is 18 inches by 36 at 1,000. Now, before we go too far into this, I want you to draw a rectangle that's taller than it is wide, right? 18 width and 36 tall. And then next to it, I want you to put a 36 width, 18th tall, because those are how I see the differences between NRL Hunter and PRS. The PRS, I'm gonna have it in the vertical, and the hunter, I'm going to have it in the horizontal so that you've got more width in the hunter, but less vertical. And at the PRS, you're going to have more vertical than you are width. Now, that may or may not be true, but when you're thinking about animals and animal-sized targets at these hunter matches, usually they're wider than they are tall. And at a PRS match at distance, I seem to recall more often than not, targets were taller than they were wide. Now, I've definitely shot circles at a distance. I've shot diamonds at a distance. So this is not a blanket statement. I'm just doing this to be general and to talk about different things considering your different outlets, right? So 
If you're in law enforcement, you're probably going to be training on things that are taller than they are wide because humans are taller than they are wide. And if you shoot elk or deer or antelope or something like that, targets tend to be wider than they are tall. On the other hand, kill zones are not the same dimensions as the animals that you're shooting at, but that's a completely different conversation. At these competitions, the targets tend to be wider than they are tall, but that's not always true. This last weekend, we shot dinosaurs, and a lot of times they were kind of off at a diagonal angle. And um, you know, I don't know anybody that shot dinosaurs, so I don't know the shape of their kill zone. But to hit these targets, sometimes uh, it wasn't just a wider than tall, like coyote-style target. Okay, so let's get back to the nitty-gritty. Now, if I shoot paper at 100, I can keep my positional shots in a two-tenth circle. So when I look at that, and then if I flash mill that bracket at a distance, obviously things are going to change because I start incorporating variables other than my own fundamentals or the load that I have and, and the equipment that I have because I can pretty much isolate those out at 100 yards. So if you can keep everything in a tight little group at 100 yards, you're starting from a really good, solid foundation. But your point two group doesn't usually stay point two to infinite distance. Other variables start to come into play. And so let's think about the variables and, and, and how I would identify my ability to decide whether I need to work on fundamentals, wind, or in this case, go from factory ammo to hand loads. Okay? So I've got a point two group, and that is a linear angle of measurement. So that point two group of fundamentals is going to stay the same at distance as far as I'm concerned. Now, other variables start to come into it. So before you start freaking out and have to take nausea meds because I said that your fundamentals do extend linear, linearly out to distance, what I'm saying is that fundamental base that you have, it, that's not influenced by velocity differences, by wind, by the curvature of the earth, and so on and so forth. It's just that that's your baseline fundamentals. And so you need to subtract that from any measurements that you're going to do. Now, if we're shooting at that vertical IPSC that is 18 inches wide and 36 inches tall, you've got, right, and you've got your point two group in the center of it, you've got point three budget in the left and right, and you've got point eight budget in the in the up and down. And all I did was take those measurements of one mil and half a mil and subtract my shooting from it, right? So now I've got, if we take my shooting out of it, I've got a budget of 0.3 to the left and right, and not to the left and right, but combined 0.3 of room on the target in addition to my shooting. And I've got eight tenths of vertical. And if we take the, the hunter style rectangle, right? The, the 36 wide and 18 tall, I've got 0.3 in the vertical axis and 0.8 in the horizontal axis. So what I would say here is that we're talking about two different measurements of or two different questions completely. And so let's, let's address those questions. One of them is bullet drop. The vertical, we have bullet drop. And in the olden days, when I hear people talk about the olden days, when they used to use their mill, mill reticles to try to reticle range things because they didn't have laser range finders and they didn't know the distance to, to, to various objects that they were shooting at, there was a lot of uncertainty about the distance. And so danger space and building in flatter trajectory bullets by making you know heavier bullets go faster or small, lighter bullets go faster. Anyway, so that, that when you go from 
500 to 510 to 520 yards, you've got less drop between the distances. It makes your inaccurate range less likely to be a miss. So if you've got a super fast bullet and it's got very little drop, and when you talk to old timers, they love to show you how little drop they have to a thousand or how little drop they have. And for most of us that shoot now and compete now who have laser rangefinders, who are given a range, that kind of stuff really doesn't make that big of a difference because you just dial the dope for the distance, right? So if you say, I've got a target at 800 yards, I couldn't care less whether I have to dial a different elevation than you if I know that my ballistic solution is going to put my bullet at the center of the plate. But that's assuming you know the distance to the target. Now, that doesn't completely take away the requirement that you're going to have for, for, for vertical, right? People do misrange targets, and there are ways to think that uh, you have a distance, but you don't. So, so, so that it's not completely negated, but nowadays there's not a lot of competitions where you aren't able to get a pretty accurate range. And so having a super flat bullet isn't as much of a concern, uh, but, but I guess you could probably argue and uh, find a circumstance where, where it would be a big deal. I'm going to say right now for this conversation, it's not that big of a deal. But shooting factory ammo, it might be. And so what's going to influence that vertical portion? Well, time of flight is. So even if you have the known distance, the different drop is going to be a reflection of how long is the bullet in the air or how long is the bullet exposed to gravity. So it's falling while it's flying to the target. And so faster bullets don't, fl don't fall as long. And so they hold less elevation. And slower bullets, they're going to be falling a lot longer. So or it doesn't have to be a lot longer. And if you want to see the difference, just hold up anything, basically. Like grab your whatever. Grab your Kestrel if you want to. Or a, a rock or a pebble or a pen. And drop it, right? And it's going to fall that fast. And so whatever the distance is, however long it takes it to go three inches difference that's the extended amount of flight time that a slower bullet's going to have. So it happens very quickly. On the other hand, you can measure that at a distance. And when you buy factory ammo, it's not uncommon to get different velocities or velocities that are beyond what you would expect for somebody who knows how to hand load to be able to load that into. Now, I typically shoot a lot of factory ammo. And since uh, since COVID, I've been exclusively shooting factory ammo, and, and, and I've noticed that recently some standards have been deteriorating, but I've been able to find some, uh, and recently just the factory burger ammo has been shooting really good. But why did I switch from the Hornady to the, to the burger? And let's talk about that for a sec. So when you chronograph uh, your, your bullets, there is, uh, you can have a, a standard deviation and you can have an extreme spread. And some people like extreme spread, some people like standard deviation. Extreme spread is basically taking those limits, right, the fastest and the slowest bullet, and you're making a bracket out of that. Now, that, that's informative, but it doesn't really tell you where the average bullet's going to be. It doesn't tell you a lot of information for high-volume shooting. But on the other hand, like, it does tell you the high and the low. Uh, the standard deviation is, is a, probably a better statistical measure, but you still, you need to have a lot of measurements. Now, Let's let's talk about um, 
well, let's, let's not get into it too much. Sometimes I'll talk about extreme spread. If I'm going to shoot 10 or 12 bullets, I'm going to take that extreme spread and plug it in just to see what that falls into. On the other hand, if you shoot, you know, 10 or 15 to get a, a, a velocity and you get a standard deviation, the standard deviation is probably uh, a little bit more helpful if you think about it um, in the big picture. So let's, let's run through that really quick. A standard deviation is kind of showing you where things are likely to fall on a bell curve. And so what I do with the standard deviation is I just multiply it by three, right? So to make a short story long, uh, a standard deviation is basically giving you the idea of where, where the likelihood of things are going to be. So, um, you know, w- uh, within like 68% is a, is a standard deviation. So then two standard deviations. So if you take your standard deviation and multiply it by two, that's, that's and, and, and you took an adequate sample size, you're talking about like 95%. Now, 95% is, is quite a bit. And for most of you, that's probably enough. But if you want to incorporate all of it, right, or, or virtually all of it, right, except for 0.3%, um, so uh, 99.7% of it is if you multiply that standard deviation by three, you're going to have a really good idea of where your bullets are going to fall. Now, why is that important? Well, if you chronograph a couple of bullets, you're not getting a good sample size. But let's say you're like me for a match. And when I did hand load, or if I do hand load, I'm probably going to load about 300 because 200 is for the match, 100 is for data and... and um, you know, just kind of making sure everything is good. So let's say I load 300 bullets and I can't sample them all, but I chronograph, let's say 20 of those 300 that I loaded and I figured out where three standard deviations, or I take that standard deviation and I multiply it by three. Basically that's saying that out of that 300 shots, maybe one of them is going to be outside of the predicted realm. Right in, in in terms of 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 predictability, right? Or that that's kind of the assumption that I'm making. So out of that 300, one of them might be above or below that, right? And I I don't know which one it's going to be. I don't know where it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But if I've got a good sample size and I load 300 rounds, basically by multiplying the standard deviation by three, we're giving to chance or to math or to statistics the opportunity for about one of those 300 not to, to match the data, right? Which means that within two standard deviations, there's going to be maybe 15 out of those 300 shots that are going to be between 95 and 100, right? So most of them are going to be inside of, of two standard deviations, right? But three is going to account for all of them. And so I kind of like the idea of having, you know, you load up 300, you take 200 of the match. Now, which one's it going to be? You have, you have no idea, right? It could be the one you zeroed with. It could be the way, shit, it could be the one that you chronographed with. It, 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 it's hard to tell. It's impossible to tell, but it's basically saying that, that the odds are pretty good that your data is going to fall into those three standard deviations. And so if you have a, a standard deviation that... Um, is smaller, then you know it's gonna it's gonna be better, right? So at a at a thousand yards, um, one tenth of drop for my six five bullet is is sixteen feet per second. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna multiply that sixteen by three, right? And sixteen times three is forty eight, and forty eight feet per second is gonna be that three tenths vertical budget for that horizontal ipsic. And so 
if I'm testing my loads so that it all falls within that half mil tolerance, I am going to look that it falls under 48 feet per second, right? Or a standard deviation of 16. So my maximum standard deviation on ammo that's going to be shooting at 1,000 yards at a target that's 0.5 tall, given my shooting, is 16 feet per second. Now, if it's less than that, great. But if it's more than that, it's a no-go. Now, that's bigger than my shooting bracket. So it's probably more important for me, right, to get that standard deviation under 16. But if it's 14, perfect. I don't need to worry about it whatsoever after that. That's, that's going to be um, what I'm looking at. Now, now, oddly, this wasn't planned, but at 1,000 yards, uh, one mile an hour is 0.15 drift per mile, like in that one mile an hour zone is 0.15 drift. So 0.3 drift in the vertical target, 0.3 is two miles an hour. So now if I take this, I've got a 0.2 shooter bracket, right? I've got 0.3 of vertical from 48 feet per second feet per second uh, variance. And if you want to think about that as extreme spread, that's probably fine too because it's 48 feet per second that puts it within that zone. But three standard deviations of 16 accounts for all of them. And two of those standard deviations, 95% of that, is going to cut a lot of that out. And so I feel really comfortable with a, 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 a standard deviation of of 16 being the limit, right? And it doesn't need to be better than that because I'm not going to miss in the vertical with a good range with a load that's better than that. It's just going to take too much time. Now, the horizontal, I've got a 0.2 group and a 0.3 budget. That's only two miles an hour of wind. And to me, that's very, very challenging to read the wind to two miles an hour at 1,000 yards is very, very hard to do. So what can I do there? Well, I can get a little bit better at shooting, for sure. I can get a little bit better at wind reading, for sure. But I'm also going to say that a 0.5 target at 1,000 yards is going to be very hard to, to, to hit, and I'm probably going to start thinking about strategy at that point, right? Strategy. Is that standard deviation going to affect the wind? Not, not so much that you can measure it at that distance, right? Is it going to affect the PRS target in vertical? Oh, hell no, right? I mean, we're talking about a half mil target for the horizontal, and we're talking about um, that, that still leaves us another half of a mil in that PRS target of standard deviation. So I'm talking about the hunting target is less tall than it is wide, I'm going to go for the which one has the highest standards, right? So for the hunter target, you want a standard deviation of 16. For the PRS target, if they were all taller than they are wide, which they're not, but if they were, you could get away with standard deviations much larger than that and still be able to hit a target because that's not really going to influence the wind drift as much as it is the, the vertical, right? So th that's kind of how I'm thinking about this. So if you draw circles... We've got a lot of budget in the vertical on the tall target, but not much for wind. In the other one, you've got a lot of budget, 
for wind, well, you have 0.8 budget for wind, but that's five miles an hour of wind reading. So in this case, you, you have to read the target for the PRS one, for the, for the taller, taller than it is wide, you have to read the wind to within two miles an hour. For the wider than it is tall, you have to read the wind to within five miles per hour, right? To read the wind to within five miles per hour isn't that challenging. And so the likelihood of hitting that target is very good. The likelihood of hitting the target with a standard deviation of 16 is very good, assuming that your shooter bracket is 0.2 or better. But a lot of people are shooting with brackets that are larger. They have bigger vertical dispersion than they have horizontal dispersion. And so in this circumstance, my prediction is that the average shooter still needs to bring their shooter bracket down to be capable of hitting within that vertical section. And they probably have the ability to get the wind within five miles an hour. And so that width is probably acceptable. The height, it probably has more to do with their shooting and their positional instability than, um, than anything. But I think that if I was going to say, you know, in a generalized statement based on these numbers, if I was chronographing a hand load or a factory load, I would make sure that positionally I was shooting within 0.2, and that would be great. I would look to see if the standard deviation was 16 or below. If it met those criteria, I wouldn't be exploring anything else. I would just let it rip. I, uh, now, in training, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna always try to bring it, my shooter bracket down. But bringing it below a point two is pretty hard to do, and it's going to take a long time to bring those positional shots inside of that bracket. Reading wind... If you're, if you're going from one scenario to the next, you're trying to go from five miles an hour to two miles an hour, we could shave some miles an hour off the five person, but improving from a two mile an hour is going to be very hard to do, just like bringing your shot group down below the point two is going to take a lot of work. Now, if you're shooting a half mil group, we could bring that down closer to point two fairly easily, but the cost-benefit ratio that we're talking about there is different, right? And so we want to look to which one is the biggest. And in this circumstance, uh, it depends on the orientation of the target or the style of competition or the style of application that you're looking at, right? So, but all of them point away from the factory and hand load requirements of having a standard deviation of two, right? Now, if you're shooting past a 1,000, that's probably a big deal. Or if you're really trying to all get within an inch, of each other at a thousand yards. Obviously, the standards for load development are going to be important. But if we're just looking at the numbers and we're just looking at standard deviations, velocities, left and right shifts, and where that opportunity for growth is, we really need to think about the size of the target. You need to think about your shooter brackets and your wind reading ability and look for the budget that's appropriate for those things. If you're worried about vertical, then look for the standard deviations on the factory ammo that you've got. If you're worried about horizontal, right, look to your wind reading. And if your wind reading is bigger than your shooting, work on that. If your shooting is bigger than your wind reading, then work on that. And kind of whittle down the perimeter so that your numbers look better over time. But that's how it's all going to shake out. That's how it's all going... To, 
to be thought about and discussed. And so that's the way that I think about it. I'll go to the store and I'll buy a couple cases of ammo. I'll go chronograph it. I'll do a group test and then I'll decide, um, you know, what are the size targets that I'm shooting at? And in a lot of respects, um, you know, these numbers are exactly what I look for, right? So is it uh, standard deviation under 16? Now, at 1,200 yards, we're going to look for 11 feet per second difference. So I might look for, you know, if I can get a single-digit standard deviation. And the burger ammo has all had that. But recently, the Hornady has been, like, in the upper 20s. And so the upper 20s is just completely unacceptable beyond 600 yards um, for vertical for the size targets we're shooting at. So I've been looking for things with standard deviations in the low teens, and if we're shooting even farther, then, you know, single digits. And I've seen the single digits from the burger recently. I haven't seen it from the Hornady. It used to be around 12, 10 to 12 with the Hornady, so I don't know what changed with their, uh, with their uh, product development. But the group sizes um, aren't as important because you can tune that out, and you can say, like, look, if my bracket is point too wide, that, that's fine because you're going to be building and breaking positions. You're going to be building and breaking things over and over and over again. You want to make sure that the deviation from build and break to build and break to build and break and those first round impacts are consistent enough where the feedback you're getting is feedback that is appropriate. Because if you're getting inconsistent build and break positions of that first shot, then you're not really getting the feedback that you need to inform your next series of shots, right? So if I build and break a position and I build and break over and over and over and over again and I've got three inches left and right of variation, I can't trust the wind feedback that I'm getting from that. If I'm building it and I'm getting vertical deviation, right, I can't necessarily trust whether my range was accurate or whether it was me and my position. And so those things, they all play together. And you need to make sure that the measurable variables are ones that you kind of understand what's going on. And that starts first with saying, this is how I shoot in build and break. Or if you're going to be shooting at a target, let's say you shoot one target three times and then you transition to another target three times, and then you'll probably be training three shots, right? Your, that's your initial build and break and then your two follow-ups to make sure that they're consistent at least with that initial build and break so that if you have to make a wind correction your second shot isn't going to be different than your first in position. Otherwise, when you make that wind correction, it'll be off of faulty information. But once you have a grasp on your consistency, then it's about how the numbers play in and whether you need more vertical or whether you need more horizontal. Most of us need to bring our horizontal in so that we get more uh, more grace with the wind because wind is the variable that everybody's always going to be playing with. And if competitions get harder and harder, wind is one of those things that's always going to separate shooters. And so the more we can take out left and right variation, the, the more budget we get for being off by wind and making those corrections. But it's very hard to do on that sub two to, to a tenth of a mil accuracy and understanding how those numbers play in. Now, with the website, we have added a combined shooter bracket where it takes your data, your positional data, and 
it allows you to toggle the distance and the uncertainty in the wind reading. So it could be plus or minus one mile an hour, plus or minus two miles an hour. It's not saying one mile an hour of wind necessarily. It's just saying, you know, if it's eight, what would it look like if you were off by a mile an hour? So if it was seven or nine, or if you were off by two miles an hour or off by three miles an hour, how much width is that going to add to your shooter bracket? Because wind reading is a skill that you need to be keep track of. I don't think that the vertical is a skill, right? If you're buying factory ammo, you get what you get. And so we didn't incorporate that into this part of the tool because some of that is just equipment-based. And I don't want people that, 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 at least people that listen to me, to think that equipment matters as much as skill. And shooting skill and wind reading skill, they work together, but they're different. And so if you have your shooting skill and your wind reading skill and you toggle that wind up and down and up and down, you can know the limits uh, of how, how much wind could you be off by and still hit a target of a particular size. And so that particular tool that's available to subscribers allows you to take your craft shooter data and overlay wind to show you the left and right variation, statistically speaking, right, that will put your bullets, you know, in a zone, and then you can decide for yourself, is that zone acceptable? Or is that zone unacceptable? And then you look at the biggest one and work on that to try to improve those variables because those known elements are things that you can literally work on. You can go take a class. You can go get help. You can just go to the range and practice. You can Google it. There's a lot of resources out there for people to work on things, but a lot of shooters don't understand where their weak points are and then how to actually go out and attack those weak points in what I think is a logical and an intelligent approach rather than just kind of um, putting a lot of faith in a lot of other things. Here I say, like, it empowers you. You know your shooter bracket. You know your, your wind reading capabilities, or maybe you don't. But you say, okay, if I'm shooting at a target that's half a mil wide at this distance, how much grace do I have with the wind? And this will be able to show you that. So I think that's pretty cool. I think it's smart to take the numbers and break them down like this rather than just say, um, you know, because time is money. And if you're going to spend an unusual amount of time trying to hand load the perfect load, you might be doing it for a reason that isn't exactly what's going to get you to your goal. Right. And I think that for there's a... Um, an upside to just meeting the criteria and then training something else rather than the time invested in developing the perfect hand load isn't necessarily going to make up for skills that you could make up bigger ground elsewhere at first. And then eventually it'll play back and forth, back and forth. But I do think it's worth investing the time in the appropriate place bringing those skills up before you reassess and then you go after another area that is now the new low-hanging fruit. And so by giving you a visual and allowing you to play with the numbers like this, it gives you um, uh, added, added value, I guess, to assessing your training plan and knowing what to look for. So um, I'm going to stop it here, but I'd be psyched to hear back from you. So uh, reach out, email me at chrisrway.com at gmail.com. 
Um, and uh, let me know how your training and shooting goals are going.